happy Friday and welcome back to another episode of Let's Chat Markets, your favorite dairy podcast. I know you all just love the sweet, soothing sounds of Lucas Feast and myself chatting about dairy markets, but I think it's time we step out of our comfort zone here and talk about something else with one of my favorite people of all time. You guys, I've got Angie Setzer on with us today. We are audibly in the presence of grain greatness. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, well, I did not wear my boots um, today. <laughs> and so I, we may be in trouble. So, but thank you so much for having me. I am excited to be here. And the feeling is mutual, um, ladies. So I'm, I'm excited to be here and with one of my favorites as well. Aw. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background before I'm sure everyone listening already knows who you are, but just like a quick recap about how, uh, what you're up to now and a little bit about your background. Yeah. So I actually, I always like to start with the whole, like, I don't have a, a degree in agriculture, but I did grow up on a farm. So I grew up on a farm, um, in central Michigan, but went to school all of my life. Everyone's like, you'll be such a good teacher. Like I thought that was honestly the only career that existed, which I think um, was pretty commonplace for anyone that graduated circa 2000. Um, and so I went to school to be a teacher and looked around and I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to teach Mark Twain every September for the rest of my life. Like I want to do something that's exciting and changes. And um, yeah, so kids be careful what you wish for. Um, cause sometimes you may regret <laughs> that request. And so here I am. Um, but graduated from college with an English degree um, and started in cash grain um, brokerage. So basically I would buy from farmers and, you know, find a good market for them to ship into or find a good market that I could ship into, pick grain up off their farm and, and kind of bridge that gap uh, between the farmer and the end user. Um, not long into what I was doing, I kind of realized that marketing, you know, was, was taught to people like me who were in that position you know, uh, you know, all the tricks of the trade and all of that you, you learned as a merchandiser, or as a grain buyer, but no one ever really wanted to share that with the farmer. And so I started doing that. Um, and about six years into my career, I ended up at Citizens as a, as their vice president of grain. Um, and so there I ended up managing five elevator locations and working with growers and, you know, just continuing on that path of kind of education and help and being, um, their defendant and, representative and and the person that kind of handled their headaches for them um and and also worked to build out the elevator and and things of that nature and after about 10 years i just really got this feeling that it was time for me to do it independently um you know work with my farmers become my 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 growers representative 100% versus being my growers representative but being employed by the elevator it was just kind of an oxymoron and so i started consis with two of my friends last summer, um, Boyd Brooks is, is, um, from South Carolina and, and a lot like me and, and what he's done is history is a lot the same. And then Adam Kramer is a, an agronomist from Wisconsin that focuses on sustainability and, and regenerative agriculture. And our number one goal is to just help the farmer, um, be able to navigate the ever complicated, you know, market structure that we're, we're in these days. Yeah, I love that. Love it, the fact that you guys are an advocate for the farmer. We really, really need that. Um, and I just, as a side note, 
you're absolutely right about careful what you wish for. I was in school to be a physical therapist. Um, and then I got a job at the board of trade and I just, I, I got the itch just like you. So right. I totally get it. That's like, you know, you could have taken days off as a physical therapist like that oh, vacations. I go take a vacation time. <laughs> what is that? Yeah. yeah. But that don't have to circulate around a market being closed, you know? So, so yeah. Well, yeah. Our markets are open basically 23 hours out of the day. So it's, uh, it's lovely. Um, yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> I obviously get a ton of questions, especially lately about feed costs. Um, because of course these input costs are directly correlated with the milk prices. So let's talk about that. We've got $7 nearing $8 corn, $16 mm-hmm. beans, wheat's over 10 bucks. And obviously we're all dealing with the same stuff right now. Inflation, Russia, Ukraine, COVID, um, you name it. But let's talk about that WASI report as that just came out um, on this Friday afternoon here. Were there any notable changes that were made as a result of this Russia-Ukraine situation? Um, You did see uh, a little bit. You saw some adjustments lower in Ukraine corn exports. Um, Specifically, you saw them lowered by about four and a half million metric ton down to 23 million metric ton, which is still quite a bit higher, you could say, than where traders have it penciled at this point in time. And so, I mean, that would have been the biggest adjustment. Speaking about corn specifically, you know, we haven't seen 22 updates yet. So we haven't seen the USDA put anything forth on the current planting campaign. This is all just, you know, what has taken place and and, and what they see on hand. Now, of course, the reduction in, in exports and things of that nature did kind of carry over into an increase in carryout because the USDA does feel that they will will keep those some of those bushels on hand, you know, versus what we were seeing before. Mm-hmm. The wheat side of things, again, this is all old crop stuff. So we're three quarters of the way through the wheat marketing year. And much of what Ukraine was going to ship has has went out. So the USDA did lower Ukrainian wheat shipments slightly by about a million metric ton. But beyond that, uh, no real adjustments. They did so in a kind of an ironic fashion that I just noticed. They lowered Ukrainian wheat shipments by about a million metric ton and increased Russian wheat shipments by the same amount. Um, so that's about you know really the only thing you're seeing. You, you know, you did see a reduction in ending stocks due to some adjustments around the world. But beyond that, nothing really major in this one. I think we're all kind of holding our breath for what the spring will bring, you know, and, and whether or not this offensive ends, you know, prior to, to the summer months. Yeah, for sure. I think everyone's kind of waiting and wondering what the planning situation is going to look like in re- Ukraine. Um, everyone's mm-hmm. probably afraid to stick their neck out here unless you want to. No, no. I mean, you're seeing uh, some, I always just kind of go to the experts. I'm like, I'm not going to sit here and assert Mm -hmm. someone else's um, opinion as as mine. I mean, my opinion, I always bet on the the farmer, the ingenuity, the ability to get whatever they want to get done, done. And I would say the Ukrainian people have shown that they have a level of tenacity that maybe doesn't feel common, you know, elsewhere. Right. And so I, I'm going to, to, for one, bet on, on the Ukrainian farmer, you know, being able to, to get as much done as they possibly can. And the, the other thing that is interesting is, is if Russia does move to the eastern portions of the country and, and kind of focus on um, Donbass and, and those, those territories, there's conversation that they want to kind of create um, a pocket throughout that region, which is heavy in, in metals and other raw materials. 
so, you know, really, you know, has a, a lot of value and, and try to get it to where they can get down into to Crimea. It's a lot of talk that the goal is to be done by May 9th. And so what does that look like? And and if that is the, the case, and we do see the majority of the, the aggression become targeted strictly to, to kind of achieving that so Putin can have a victory, then production may not be as impacted, but your exports probably still will be. So yeah. you're, you're seeing some slight bumps in production estimates from folks that are, are there. Um, Mike Lee, he's a great follow on Twitter. Um, I would, would look for him if I could, he's the black sea agronomist and, and puts out some really good insight and, and, you know, you're still looking at a pretty substantial cut in production year over year. Um, but, you know, hopefully I think we're past the point of, of worrying that it was a, it's going to be a complete zero. Um, we just got to figure out where it ends up. Right. Awesome. Thanks for attempting to give us a glimpse into what's going on over there. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I also noticed the USDA didn't, we were kind of expecting them to reduce the Brazil soy crop, right? Because Conab put out a lower number. What's the USDA doing over there? Why is that? Yeah, they left it unchanged, which we have heard some folks say that they anticipate some of these production numbers just start to perk up a little bit, you know, as we work our way through, you know, some portions Rio Grande de Sol, especially like they needed February, March and April to be good. Like they're just getting started with harvest. And so the, the weather pattern had shifted in time to kind of support some of that production. There is, there's been some conversations lately of people potentially throwing in some late soybeans and some of those other things, you know, they came in at a 125 million metric ton. And so that was right in line with expectations and probably in line with, with what we'll see. The biggest surprise in today's world numbers for soybeans, I would say, say, you know, is that the USDA did lower Brazilian exports and reduce Chinese imports. So they lowered Chinese imports down to 91 million metric ton from 94. Um, So that was a little bit surprising. There's some folks out there that have said that that seems aggressive, but based on what we're seeing from a hog margin standpoint, from a crush margin standpoint, and then so far the pace of government reserve sales, it is possible that we could see a reduction in Chinese demand just simply because of poor margins, like I said, in both the hog and crush sector, but also potentially because of what's happening with COVID. Yeah, interesting. We're seeing something similar uh, from a dairy perspective. China imports a lot of whey for yeah. hog feed, and it, that demand's just completely dropped off in a big way. Yeah. And so everyone keeps debating as to whether or not it's going to result in pent up demand later, mm-hmm. or if potentially that big front run and demand that we've seen over the last 18 months was enough to kind of satisfy what they need. And and so I think that becomes the million dollar question across the board for the next three months, honestly, right up there with, with weather in grains. And, you know, like you said, when it comes to dairy product exports and, and things of that nature. Yeah. Absolutely. We are, it's certainly something that we're keeping an eye on. Um, we keep thinking that China has these high inventories, yet their record dairy imports month after month. So super mm-hmm. fascinating. Yeah. I think the last question I have about this report is I noticed the world corn supply was increased. Yeah. Why, why is that? 
going on. Yeah, you saw um, world core numbers come in a bit higher than anticipated. Part of that was an increase in Brazilian production. So you saw a 2 million metric ton increase in Brazil production month over month. Outside of that, production wasn't necessarily increased too awful much outside of the European Union did see a little bit bump higher and in theirs. The, again, it goes back to China. Um, so we did see Ukraine, as we mentioned, you saw a reduction in Ukrainian um, exports by about four and a half million metric ton. Three million of that was offset by reductions made by the USDA when it comes to Chinese imports. So we're back to the Chinese import question. The attache in the country says Chinese imports are going to be 20 million metric ton this year. Coming into today's report, the USDA had had them at 26 and adjusted them down this month to 23. And so it's not surprising to me to see that reduction, you know, kind of almost directly correlated where a Ukrainian export reduction results in a Chinese import reduction. But, you know, much the same as what we just talked about. The big question remains, do we see imports? Do they do they reduce domestic feed yeah. usages down? So they're the those two numbers are directly correlated. And then, like I said, so you got a bump in, in production with the European Union. The United States was left unchanged while folks were expecting some reductions there. And then the Ukrainian carryout increased and, and the Chinese was left unchanged. So just a little bit of a bump, a bit of a surprise, 5 million metric ton of corns. It's really not a lot in the whole scope of things, just under 200 million bushel. So it's it's one of those things to where we'll continue to watch it. And all of it really, when it comes down to it, to a certain extent, hinges on on what China does again. Yeah, what a mess. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> on, on par with my Twitter handle, I have a hard time turning bearish right now with everything going on. Yes. And I still think there's a, a, a need for protein and feed within China that their demand is strong. And I think it, it hasn't yet been satiated. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it'll, I think you'll see a a continuation of strong demand. They have a lot of mouths to feed um, and a desire. I'll be interested to see how the zero COVID policy um, works and and how that translates. I mean, this translates, this whole entire thing in Shanghai is just mind blowing to watch. Um, (laughs) You know, it's 20, 20 some million people. I mean, they're slowly kind of letting them out, but 20 some million people under quarantine and and there was a video or a report the other day of them you know how in new york everyone would go out on their balcony and sing yeah um and so the chinese tried to do that as well and a drone came and told them to go back into their homes oh my god i saw that actual video (laughs) it's like oh my goodness that's amazing Um, um you know and so it'll 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 definitely be i don't know amazing is one word i guess (laughs) I also saw a huge complex shouting that they needed food. Yes. There was a huge issue with the food delivery. It was, um, it's just wild. Have you been reading about the bulk buying that's been happening? Like that? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's kind of intriguing to see like where there's a will, where there's a way. And so now they're just buying directly from these warehouses that would be going into grocery stores, mm-hmm. but they're buying enough that a truck will come to the neighborhood and offload whatever it is. I saw that. And then I also saw a huge line of trucks trying to get in and they, yeah. they heck every single, it's just a total mess. Is it, it? Yeah, it is. It is definitely, it's something to, it, I don't know. Sometimes when I can remove myself from the the stress that comes with trying to figure it out, which we know is is almost impossible, it feels like. But when you can step back from that and look at it, it's just amazing to see some of these developments in real time. 
Right. Yeah. It's like March, 2020 all over again. Yeah. That's what it feels like. So, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be all, all China all the time, right next to to us production weather right now. And and today's numbers just kind of solidified, you know, all of that. It feels like the USDA is going to kind of work to, to offset some of the global shortages with usage, which, you know, that's a function of supply and demand, but I did see Garrett Tway and, and I always really respect his insight say that the USDA has kind of hit that point. We saw this happen with the soybean balance sheet mm-hmm. for the US last year, where they just kind of throw their hands up and are like, we're just going to leave it as is and let the market figure it out. You guys yep. are on your own. We'll see you later. Yeah, uh, I like, saw that. Great yeah, point. there's a pizza in the freezer. So have a good one. And so I think that's that's where we're at now. It's going to be weather and, and cash market moves. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, I'm going to get to that a little bit here, but a lot of our dairy producer clients have been expressing a lot of concern for forage prices and even availability. Um, mm-hmm. Premium alfalfa hay going to dairies in California is well over $400 per ton. Corn silage out West is over $100 per ton. Um, have you been seeing anything similar in your in your neck of the woods? We've been really fortunate here. Uh, we had a, a record crop in Michigan last year. And so we're kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. Hay has gotten cheaper and which is a function of, of basis and, and things, you know, the further you have to go, obviously to, to reach the supply, because with the drought in the West, California is unfortunately on the, the far end of it. So around here, our prices have been relatively cheap. A lot of our dairies have actually been able to cut back on what they would buy, you know, from a ground corn standpoint, typically because they did have such a increase in yield when it came to silage um, or when it came to corn, maybe some of them grind their own. So we've seen a bit of a reduction on the feeder side, just simply because the local feed market's still trying to compete with the ethanol plants and the the exporters, and that's where the the big demands come from. And they're relatively comfortable on supply availability and and potentially looking at shipping out, looking yeah. ahead at at shipping out. And so we're on the we're on the opposite end, fortunately for our 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 feeders, but unfortunately for our corn farmers with HTAs that are trying to figure out what the next basis opportunity is. Yeah, really. Um, yeah. And then speaking of basis, aside from, you know, the price increases that we're seeing on futures uh, for corn over the past few months here, a lot of dairy farmers, particularly, of course, again, in the Western U.S., a lot of large dairy farmers out there, they've been getting hit with those high basis levels. Do you foresee mm-hmm. kind of any big changes to grain basis over the next few months? No, I think basis is, is going to stay relatively stout out West, um, especially just simply because of the the fact that basis's job is to move grain from where it is to where it isn't and the continued increases in freight aren't helping. So a large portion of, of some of these increases that we're seeing in, in basis is just merely to, to offset that freight component that we're seeing. And as a result, you know, some folks are just, we're just having to pay extra. I mean, rail performance has been poor. Trucks are hard to, to come by and, and we have all of these things. So I, I think basis stays strong you know, until we get closer to figuring that out. And I'm, I'm not sure how, how far we are away from it. It just feels like every time we, we get caught up, you know, and I think the, the logistics side is a, a supply chain story for, for feed products as well, obviously. And so it feels like every time we get caught up, felt like rail performance was improving as we worked our way through the end of the year. And, and suddenly we had that 
next round of COVID and we've had a large amount of hirees and, mm-hmm. and things of that nature, just a lot of staffing issues um, with the railroad in general, as well as barge lines along the river and stuff. And so basis is going to stay real strong in the areas that it's currently strong, just simply because the likelihood of seeing freight get ridiculously cheaper here over the next few weeks and, and months is, is probably somewhat limited. Yeah. Geez. We could have a whole episode talking about that too. Couldn't we? Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, well, that's it. That's all the questions I have for you. Any, any closing thoughts? I just want to make it short and sweet and try to educate some of our listeners a little bit. Cause yeah. I always uh, appreciate your input. Well, I appreciate you having me and, and closing thought wise is, is just honestly, until we can confirm the, we know what our production figures are going to look like. We get a better feel for what weather is going to look like. We're going to have a hard time really breaking these markets too far, just because we have to maintain some of that risk premium. Obviously there's always going to be a huge risk with the, the amount of fund money that we have in the market currently, but overall you're going to see these markets stay stout and they're going to be frustrating and they're going to be volatile. And as both a feeder or a, a buyer of corn and a seller of corn or whatever it may be, you know, just focus on targets. You know, the market's going to be volatile. You focus on, on buy side targets and sell, sell side targets if you're a seller and do what you can to try to book margin when it presents itself. So that's about all I got, got on awesome. that one. I have no idea where we head beyond that. <laughs> Uh, we won't make you, we won't make you come up with a forecast on the spot, but, uh, love talking to you and Hey, let's do this again. I had, yes, fun. I had fun too, like for <laughs> sure. So I appreciate you having me. It was a great time. Awesome. Well, have a great weekend and we'll, uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks again. Cheers. Sounds good. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And if you're interested in receiving more information, as well as our analysis, please visit highgrounddairy.com to request a free 30-day trial today. Futures and options trading involves substantial risk and is not suitable for all investors. 